Welcome to InBeta, where we ask the big questions about human rights and the digital environment. Last week, we launched Series 2 of InBeta with a specific view on exploring questions of how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting on the digital environment and the potential human rights implications as well. We thought it'd be useful to revive this podcast as a way of keeping track of developments in this rapidly changing moment. We want to use this to examine things as they come in, sort of week by week, trying to make sense of them. Each episode will be short, and we're going to try to get as many voices and perspectives involved as possible, whilst also using this time to shout out to important work that others are doing in the field. Last week, we discussed questions around disinformation and freedom of expression with GPD's own Richard Wingfield, our head of legal. And this week, we invite our first external guest of the series to the show, Lisa Vermeer. So I'm really pleased to have Lisa Vermeer here from ICNL. Um, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Hi, Giles. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Um, Lisa, it'd be great just to get a quick introduction of you and um, and the, your organization. Yeah, of course. Well, my name is Lisa Vermeer, and um, I work with the International Center for Not-for-Profit Law as their digital policy advisor. So, and I'm based in Amsterdam, and I just wanted to share with you that living in the Netherlands is also an interesting experience because for me it has been the first time that I really feel that some of my civic freedoms like the freedom of association and to gather with friends and and convene is really limited for the first time in my life so um, that's an interesting experience in such a privileged country like the Netherlands Um, but back to ICNL it's an international NGO uh, with headquarters in Washington DC and quite a few regional offices and we work to improve the legal environment for civil society for over 25 years now so on a national level we work a lot with local partners in more than 100 countries all over the world many of them non-profit lawyers advocating for law reform in their countries and on a global level we focus on improving international standards um, to uh, protect civic freedoms so that's a short introduction yeah and we're super excited to to have you on the show and to to have you um at icnl it's um, a great addition great addition to the team um thanks so yes yeah, so, so last week we uh we went through some amazing resources that we were highlighting um in our podcast and one of them was um the civic freedoms uh tracker um that you at icnl and ecnl have have developed um i'd love to hear a little bit more about the tracker and and, and why did you decide to create it um, yeah, well, thank you so much uh, for giving the opportunity to highlight this one. Um, so the new tool was launched last uh, Tuesday, and um, it's the um, it's on the internet. I don't know if you mentioned in the in last week's show, but it's on www.icnl.org/slash/covid19tracker, and um, since the WHO declared the pandemic, we actually saw a surge in emergency laws all over the world to respond to the exponentially increasing threat to public health. And we know from experience uh, that over time, emergency decrees actually really permeate into legal structures, become normalized, and that it becomes really difficult to deconstruct them. And it takes a lot of effort. For example, after 9-11, of course, in the US, but also after the Bataclan attacks in France, the state of emergency lasted for a very long time. And it took a lot of advocacy from 
for, for example, rights organizations to, to stop the emergency, state of emergency. And um, what we also saw is that due to the contagious nature of this coronavirus, we saw that specifically the freedoms of association and assembly were curbed and impacted by these decrees all over the world. And these freedoms are ICNL's core mission because they are so crucial for civil society to flourish. Um, uh, in addition to that, we see it, we saw a lot of uh, language in the decrees that are violating freedom of expression and really limiting the ability to, to participate. So we started monitoring the government responses to this pandemic and um, with, with a special focus on emergency laws, um, uh, but already a little bit wider looking at practices or implementation of existing laws. And uh, currently our whole team of staff in DC, but also the other, uh, the other offices and um, especially also our European sister organization, ECNL, we all gear towards adding entries and um, validating the information to the tracker and publishing it online. And personally, I find it very rewarding to be able to contribute to this resource that is so timely. And hopefully we can have a longer term impact and help the efforts that are will be definitely needed in the future to um, oppose the existence of these emergency laws and uh, and this legislation that is that will stay there, but should end at a certain point in time. Yeah, absolutely, and it's such a super useful resource. Of, uh, us, um, the GPD, have been been using it in our in our own work as well, just to follow um, what what's going on. Um, so at the moment, it's um, the, the the staff at ICNL and ECNL sort of um, in, inputting information. Are you um, getting a sort of a full sort of global picture? Um, and if so, are you seeing any particular trends, uh, sort of regionally or sub regionally, within the the use of these emergency laws? Yeah, thank you for asking. It's so good to hear that you've been able to use the, the resource for your own work, because I think that's the main goal, of course, of the tracker to support the work, the advocacy work of um, international and local organizations to 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 strengthen their work um, and uh, and their uh, goals. So, yeah, um, I'm happy to to lift out some of the trends that we saw. So, I will focus uh, more on the freedom of expression and digital side because that's that's um, what I've been contributing to, and it's more tailored to your audience. That is the digital rights community. Um, so. Uh, we have seen, uh, we can actually really confirm a trend with regulating and providing um, the information space, uh, especially by providing severe sanctions on publishing false between brackets information or fake news um, without actually precisely explaining the criteria based on which this is to be determined. So um, I'm sure that you talked about it last time, but this is this is, has been added to, to uh, quite a lot of emergency decrees or emergency laws over the last uh, few weeks. Um, one example is in Zimbabwe, uh, they issued regulations that um, subject those who publish or communicate false statements about public officers that are enforcing the national lockdown rules to penalty up to 120 Zimbabwe, uh, Zimbabwean dollar, which is about 300 euros, or imprisonment up to 20 years. So this is mm. extremely disproportionate and also one of the most a severe uh, example that we have seen, but there are many others in the in the tracker. 
Um, and another trend that we see is um, that that is also very widely covered in the regular media, of course, is the increased government powers to surveil its citizens using digital technology. Um, so we see actually two uh, two trends happening. One is that the emergency decrees are lowering, for example, the judicial obligations around getting surveillance warrants and really entering people's houses or um, or their devices, and um, also measures that are more specific targeting people in quarantine by making them install mandatory apps on their personal devices that use location and personal data. Examples are in China, in Israel, in Poland, in South Korea, and now even the Dutch government is considering making an app like this mandatory. Um, for example, in Poland, the government launched a cell phone app that allows police to monitor individuals' compliance with quarantine, and then you have to upload a selfie, and facial recognition technology is used mm. to recognize whether it's you. Up to And then you are subject to fines. So that's, that's quite shocking. Um, especially as like before this pandemic, the the mandatory installment of apps being able to co control by police was only happening in, as far as I know, was only happening in Xinjiang in China, and that in China, and that really uh, had a lot of governments and also uh, rights organizations, of course, um, advocating about it. But now it becomes normalized to work with an app and it seems proportional, but I think that's really a worrying, uh, worrying development. Absolutely. And, and, and as you, as you mentioned, the, 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 the sort of the, the bigger worries that these, these sort of, um, these technologies or, or, and the enforcement through law become normalized af after this, um, after this moment. Um, yeah. um, and therefore the proportionality of any responses that might be taking place now also, uh, becomes even more, uh, put into question. Um, in terms yeah. of the, 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 the you know the lifespan of the, of the tracker, is this something that you know ICNL were looking to um, sort of follow on through the whole of the, um, the the pandemic and the crisis and and beyond as well? Is there are there future plans to continue to continue this continue this work? Um, well, yeah, of course we don't know how long the pandemic is going to last and the whole sense of emergency but we have a clear focus on emergency laws for now and we'll definitely follow through um through the whole upcoming months to see what's happening because they will maybe please to be called emergency laws but still like lots of laws will will respond to the current pandemic and we will continue to track that definitely and then um i think over time we have we will have to um see also in conversation with the people that are using the tracker so what is the what is the best uh what is the best way forward uh for example now we're uh, uh also looking at successful responses while using the tracker uh ecnl will publish uh, um, some of the examples in this field soon so we will definitely follow follow the um uh the acts that are being published and the legislation, but um, also adjusting it according to the needs, because I think that is important to to state is that many of our partners also have uh, contributed to the tracker, and we really invite everyone to continue with additions and uh, send us notes about what they see in terms of new laws, emergency decrees, uh, specific focus on our language that is used is really new and is really violating human rights. So we will verify this information and um, 
uh, put it in, in the in the tracker. And one of the core features, I think, of the current tracker is that it's it's really focused on offering as well primary source documentation of the government responses. Um, so so that other organizations working with the information have access to what is actually being adopted uh, in terms of law and policy. Amazing, fantastic. Yeah, that's super exciting to see that and to, to have it as a, as a um, uh, sort of a, a community-based initiative as well. Um, are there anything, any other ways in which sort of other human rights defenders can use the tool or, or get engaged or anywhere particularly they should be sort of looking for more information on how they can do that? Yeah, well, like I just said, I, I want to reiterate that it's really that we really intend to have it as a community uh, initiative, and and everyone is welcome to contribute. It's of course very important to to uh, validate the information to make sure that it's it's right and that we have the the prime doc, primer. Uh, documentation added to it, but we hope that um, human rights defenders can really use it as evidence in their advocacy campaigns against violations of human rights in their in their countries now and also in the future when emergency decrees are staying longer than the emergency last. And um, um, we are also uh, interested to hear about how the the tracker is used for their purposes. But we, we hope that there are many many of them in in ways that are tailored to the local needs. Um, and we're developing our research page, page um, aside from the tracker as well, to show where CSOs has pushed for their freedoms and to share examples of successful responses. So that can be helpful and inspirational for, for others. And um, for your audience that's geared towards digital rights, I would specifically welcome um, uh, information and intel on legal measures that expect government powers in cyberspace, either by regulating the information space or by increasing the, the powers to surveil and to use digital technologies or to develop AI strategies that are totally non-inclusive or, or uh, really pass through all the normal dem or for, for in democracies normal procedures. Um, and uh, we really have to monitor this now so it, so we can strategize on on how to hold governments accountable and avoid the normalization of the state of emergency that we are experiencing now. Absolutely, yeah. And there's a really good way of sort of pulling all that together and particularly the, the call to action of the future sort of strategy that's needed. I think that's really, um, really important. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Lisa. We'll we'll make sure that the um, the links that you've mentioned in the podcast are on the um, on the podcast material on on SoundCloud and and on the GPD website as well. Um, and and additional information that um, uh, the team were able to provide, we'll make sure it's included there. Um, thank you so much for for joining us um, and for for sharing all of this um, really useful information and and uh, insight on on the tracker. And we uh, hope to have you on the show again soon. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the invitation, and I really look forward to working with you and, and all your your partners as well to develop this tool and to strengthen all our combined advocacy work. Great. Thanks, Lisa. Okay, thanks, Charles. Bye. Fantastic to have Lisa on the show. This week, we've seen even more amazing resources and analysis from uh, partners and contributors in the field, and we wanted to share a few with you. The UN Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights, the OHCHR, has put out guidance disaggregated by different rights for policymakers on how to manage the COVID-19 pandemic in line with human rights. And it comes with a great video by Michelle Bachelet, the current Human Rights Commissioner 
introducing the guidance. There's a fantastic blog post by Barry Sander and Luca Belli on COVID-19, cyber surveillance, normalisation and human rights law, a must-read for those engaging on cybersecurity and cyber surveillance. And the GSMA have released their COVID-19 privacy guidelines, supporting mobile operators from across the globe to ensure the protection of users' privacy whilst supporting efforts to stop the spread and minimise the cost of lives. I'm sure there'll be plenty of debate among privacy experts on, on this advice in particular. All of these will be available um, on the GPD website and on SoundCloud, along with the resources from last week, and we'll be covering those in the monthly digest. There's a link to subscribe to that there too. Thanks so much for joining us for this uh, podcast, and we hope to see you next week, where we'll be going further into the COVID-19 and human rights online issues. That's it for now.